many of the parents I speak with find a time when they're expecting little one to begin speaking an anxious time. Of course, the medicos and other childhood experts will give you rough time frames of when this should happen, leaving you to work out your own child's developmental time frame. For many, when that time frame has passed and they are still not starting their speech, they begin to worry, wondering whether there are any developmental problems or issues such as autism in the mix. I realise this is a tough area for many of you, so I'm delighted to introduce you to this week's guest, Jill Urbain, who is an early childhood interventionist who has been working with infants and toddlers for many, many years. Jill helps families to understand language and development and shows them ways to get the little ones on the path to words. During our chat, you'll hear Jill talk about the five pre-language skills that need to be in place before words are really going to start coming. Why it's advisable to avoid exposing your little one to noisy toys and why they often lead to laziness and speech delays. The main cause of speech delays in early childhood that she has observed during her 25 years of experience and so, so much more. I'm infant massage instructor Helen Thompson. Hello and welcome to First Time Mums Chat. Being a parent for the first time is challenging and changes your life in every way imaginable. To help ease your transition into parenthood, I aim to offer supportive, holistic approaches and insights for mums of babies aged four weeks to 10 months old. My goal is to assist you to become the most confident, parent you can and smooth out the bumps along the way. This podcast is brought to you by My Baby Massage, so let's do this together. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please contact a medical practitioner if you are concerned or have any medical issues. Is language development in early childhood a topic that you would like to know more about? Or do you have any questions relating to it? If so, I would love to hear from you. You can contact me via email at support at mybabymassage.net. That's support at mybabymassage.net. Hi Jill, and welcome to First Time Mums Chat. I'm delighted to be speaking with you today about language development in early childhood and hear some of your observations from your many years of experience in the area. So can you please start by telling us about you and your background? Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited to be able to talk about this. It is one of my passions. I am actually a social worker and have been working with families for 30 years in the home the last 25 of which I've done so as an early childhood interventionist, working with infants and toddlers with developmental delays. And probably 90% of the kids I work with, speech and language is one of the primary concerns. So I go in the home and I work with the families on helping them understand language and development and provide them tips and strategies to get their little ones on the pathway to words. Yeah, that's good. I come from a childcare background as well as baby massage. And I know that sometimes speech can be very hard for kids and they stutter and they find it really hard. What are some of the tips to help parents and kids develop their speech 
and the language? Well, it depends on the child where we start out, but I think it goes down to three basic things that I have found over the last 25 years that I really focus on with parents. The first thing is helping them to really understand language development in young children. I always say that language is like a light that's on a dimmer switch. Some kids come out and it's turned all the way up. That would be my firstborn. My son at one was already starting to use words. Now, other kids come out and the language light is turned way down. That would be my second born, my daughter. She didn't have but two or three words at the age of 18 months. So for those kids where the language light is turned down, we have to figure out how to help them build those skills that are needed to actually get to those words. So that's the first piece is really understanding what those skills are and what we should be expecting for the age and how the brain processes and learns language best. Then from there, understanding a couple of other little pieces of development like play skills, because that's a very important part of learning for young children. So understanding and making sure that we know what's developmentally appropriate for their play so we can make sure that the activities and the supports that we're providing are meeting them where they are at that moment. So that's kind of the first piece is looking at and understanding the development. From there, we have to understand how our unique children are wired because temperament and personality and communication preferences have a big impact on speech and language development. There are those social kids that are ready to talk to everybody and anybody. And then there's those quiet observers who are like, I'm not going to talk to anybody until I'm ready to talk to anybody. And then there are those other kids, kind of what we call own agenda kids, where they're just kind of happy doing their own thing. Let me play by myself. I really don't need to interact with you guys. I'll bring you something if I want something. Other than that, I'm just kind of chill over here. So when we understand their temperament and their communication preferences, then it makes it easier for us as parents to know how to meet them. So that's the third piece is understanding our communication styles as parents. If I'm the super excited, really kind of energetic kind of parent, and I'm working with a quiet observer, they may be like, that's too much. I don't like that. So it doesn't work. So we as parents have to sometimes adapt and change kind of our communication styles to better meet our children where they're at. So when we can figure those three things out, then getting the strategies in there to work on the actual skills that we need to is the easy part. But we have to have that understanding of those three spaces first. Yeah, you mentioned play. And I think play Mm -hmm. is so important. When I studied (laughs) childcare, I know there are three different kinds of play. I think there's parallel play and then there's another two. And I think the parallel play is when they're playing alongside somebody but they're not actually mm-hmm. playing with that person. Is it solitary? Is it solitary play where the, you mentioned that they just want to play by themselves and just be on their own? Yep. Yeah. Independent yeah. play is where they start, right? Yeah. Where they're just kind of doing their own thing. And then there's parallel play, like you said, yeah. where I'm playing next to somebody. We may both have blocks, but I'm playing with my blocks and you're playing and, with your yeah. blocks. Then the last stage is cooperative play, uh, where we're working on something together. And that's something that we look at around the age of three or four mm-hmm. for them to actually be doing cooperative play. Yeah. So I think as you were saying, it's understanding that part of the development. And if they're having difficulties as a childcare worker, I would just observe and back off and observe what they're doing mm-hmm. and try and support them through observation. As a parent, that would be a different story, wouldn't it? 
Well, you know, honestly, I don't think so in the sense that one of the things that I find the most helpful for parents is, and what I really am trying to do is help them be really good observers of their kids. Because the hard part is when we're there all day, every day with our kids, it's hard to really see everything, Mm. right? Because it's just a part of our day and we've got busy, crazy routines going on. There are many times I'll go out on a home visit and I'll ask a parent, I always start with, What's new or different since the last time I'm here? Some of them will say nothing. <laughs> and then during the visit, I'll be like, oh, what was that? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, he started doing this. Or I'll be like, holy cow, he just pointed mm-hmm. to that. That's the first time he's pointed. And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess he has started doing that. So learning how to be a good observer, because a lot of times our kids are doing stuff or sending signals or showing emerging skills, but sometimes we miss them as parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I'm just going in there and supporting the parent to do that and say, right, well, they've done this and they've got lots of milestones as well. Maybe they know about milestones, but they don't know what the developmental milestones are. And that's the really tricky part about language. I was just having this conversation with a parent earlier this week who's really worried about her little one who's two and doesn't have any words. She's like, I've been all over TikTok and I've been doing this and I've been trying that. And the hard thing is a lot of these places that you find resources online will say they should be doing this, but they don't tell you Mm -hmm. how to teach them. And if they do say, well, just do this activity, they don't realize a skill like pointing, teaching kids to point. There are all these other little sub skills that have to come first before they're actually going to start pointing. So when parents understand all these teeny little steps that we have to take to what seems like a really simple skill, then we can make sure that we're building that foundation to have that skill come. Because a lot of times the attempts that parents are making are above where the child is at. And then the parent gets frustrated and worried and scared. And the little one's frustrated because they're like, you're trying to get me to do something, but boy, I'm not ready for that. It's like drawing. If you're letting children draw and just play in the mud, draw in the mud, finger painting or whatever it is they're doing, even they're holding a pen and grasping it, they're still learning that technique. And I'm using stuff from a long time ago, but that technique will help them eventually to write and to learn to point and learn to mm-hmm. develop their pincer grasp and their power grasp. Once they've learned all of that, then they'll learn how to manipulate their fingers in order to point. And I think a lot of parents... Don't give the children the opportunity to have fun with playing. And they think that if they're just playing in the mud and drawing in the mud, they're not doing anything necessary. They're just having fun. But they're actually learning all those skills that might help them down the track. Yeah, I love the saying by Mr. Rogers that play is the child's work. And I tell parents that all the time Mm -hmm. because they're like, why is it when I come home from work at 5 p.m.? And I walk through the door, my child's a hot mess and they're tired and they're exhausted and they're in a bad mood. And I'm like, well, you're tired when you get home from work, right? And they're like, well, yeah. And I'm like, they've been working all day. They've actually been working way harder than what we work in a day. The Mm -hmm. amount of neurons and cells and pathways that are being developed all throughout their day is mind boggling to even think about. Yes. I read a book when I was doing my childcare called Play is a Feeling. And I was overwhelmed by that. I thought, wow. Play certainly is a feeling. And if you give that child the opportunity to do that, they'll flourish. 
Yeah. And, you know, I love that you said that about play being a feeling. I'm going to have to look that book up because that's one of the things, too, that I want parents to understand when it comes to learning. If learning is embedded in play and I have a positive emotion because I'm just having fun and I'm experiencing a really good time in connection with my parent during this play activity, it ramps up learning like by I'm just going to say like a thousand percent, a ton. Mm -hmm. When we can attach positive emotions to an experience those neural pathways are going to develop so much more easily and more quickly. So that's why play is the most powerful way to work on learning with young kids because they're having a good time and the brain is just on fire in those moments. Mm-hmm. And it's how to communicate with them when they're having that play, not to interrupt them, support them through language, but not yeah. put your words into to child's words. Ask a child what they're doing and let them tell you rather than you saying, oh, that looks like a ship or that looks like a cake or whatever. Asking the child right. and that way it helps with their development. It helps with their social skills. It helps them to learn words and to learn vocabulary, even when they're babies as well. I would love to talk about because I know a lot of the folks that are listening have infants and I would love to talk about ways that we can support language development right from the get-go, because there are so many things that we can be doing with our little, little ones. I think a lot of times we kind of get stuck on the motor part of really young babies, getting them sitting and crawling and pulling to stand and all of that. We can be laying a foundation for communication right from the beginning so that they don't have the struggles that a lot of the kids that I work with do. I've broken it down when I'm working with families that there are five pre-language skills that need to be in place before words are really going to start coming, where that language light's going to really turn up. So the first skill is engagement. And engagement is three things. Engagement is I'm interested in things. So I'm interested in toys, like a baby hanging onto a rattle and exploring this rattle, looking at it and shaking at it. It's showing an interest in the environment. So I hear a noise and I turn to see what happened. (laughs) Somebody dropped something in the kitchen and it startled me. So they're paying attention to those things. They notice the sound of a siren going by. So engagement with the environment. And then obviously engagement with people. This is the foundation of all language. Without engagement, we can't work on any of the other steps because I have to be interested in these things around me and show curiosity about them before I'm going to be able to learn about them, right? So a lot of times when we see little ones that are on the autism spectrum, engagement is one of the things that is the most challenging. They may be really engaged with things like toys, but not so engaged with people. So we have to really work on with those little ones drawing them in or joining their world to help them realize we're super fun too. I know you like that toy that you've got there, but I can make that even more fun. So we have to start with engagement with some of those kiddos. So it's really, really important to work on engagement. And that engagement could just be kind of like you're doing the massage and you're singing some songs and the baby's smiling and you smile back at the baby. The baby sticks its tongue out and you stick your tongue out and the baby looks at you like, oh, I just did that. Let me try that again. And they stick their tongue back out. Then you do it again and you're smiling and giving this feedback. That takes this into the second step and the second skill, which is what I call circles of communication. It's actually from Stanley Greenspan. So circles of communication are these back and forth things that we're doing, which is a big piece with infants 
that I would love for parents to really focus on building longer and longer periods of this back and forth play, those raspberries, wagging our tongues, doing tongue clicks, if the little ones going, ah, that we're going, ah, back and trying to build and keep these longer and longer. The more circles of communication that we can build with our little ones and have them tuned into us for longer, it then allows us to work on the next skill, which is comprehension. So understanding language, which doesn't get enough discussion in the baby books. It's all like, just get them talking. Well, I can't use words if I don't know what they mean. Yes. So when we have this back and forth dialogue where we're doing this game and we stop and then we say, oh, more then we keep doing it again. Mm -hmm. The more we do that, eventually our little baby is going to get to the point where they realize every time they say more, they keep going back to this game. So they start to understand what more means. So this is how we work on comprehension, right? Then the next step is initiation. Initiation is where a little one is realizing that I can do something to get something. So this is where gestures come in. And this is a part where little ones are really good at using gestures. Like babies will use intentional gaze by looking at their bottle when they're hungry and they see it and their little hands open and close because they're like, oh my gosh, there's my bottle. I'm looking right at it. Hurry up and give it to me. So they're using intentional gaze and initiation there to let us know. So initiation could be for a little bit older toddler, maybe bringing you something that they want open bringing you their cup because they want more water. So it's really important as we're working on initiation to give our kids time to initiate. Sometimes we're so good at like, oh, you need water and just getting it for them. Well, then they're like, oh, okay, this is groovy. I don't have to do a whole lot of work to let people know yeah, what I want. Yes. Mm. And then as they get older and we want them to use those words or to work a little bit harder, they're like, no, 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 that's not what I do. I throw my cup at you and you go and fill it up. I'm not doing anything more than that. So sometimes waiting to see, will they touch? Will they reach? Will they put your hand on something that they want open? Will they look at the item that they want and then look back at you? All of those are indications of initiation. Then the last step is imitation. So that's where you're doing some sounds and they're imitating your sounds. You're singing songs and they're trying to sing along with you. You say cup and they try to say cup. So that's a really, really important part of the pre-language skills because 85% of kids that have speech delays are not imitating. So that's the spot where I think the majority of the kids over my last 25 years, that seems to be the spot where they're most frequently getting stuck because they're using all of these gestures to tell us what they want, pointing and bringing, but they're not imitating our sounds, they're not imitating our actions, and they're not imitating our words. Yeah, and if you start that from a young age, as you say, with babies, if you imitate them by sticking at your tongue mm -hmm. or, you know, bending your tongue, you're teaching the baby how to do that. Oh, and they love it. There's just joy. There's elation yeah. when you do that. And you can work on initiation. So you can do a couple of peekaboos and then stop and wait and look at your child like, oh, come on, what do you want to do? And then they might take the blanket or the towel and put it up to yes. your face. And that's how they're saying, I want more of this. That's initiation. Yeah. And that gives us the opportunity to model a word that ultimately we'd like them to say like, oh, did you want more? And then go ahead and go back to the game. Yeah. Okay. You're right. It starts so early. The earlier we start working on these things, we're just building this solid foundation for communication for them. Even reading a book to a baby. Oh. People think that babies don't understand. Babies are too young to read. I know from my childcare from writer, they prefer to see black and white images to begin with because they don't see color until they get to a certain age. 
just reading a book to them. It doesn't have to be a great book. Just pointing to things and saying that's a ball or giving them a little story about it. You know, don't have to read them a novel at that age. Absolutely. And the great thing about starting at a really young age with reading stories to young kids, and I always say, keep the stories really, really short. You don't have to get the big, long ones. Get the first readers. They're great. Three words on a page, simple pictures to talk about. Start with those if you don't want to do any of the longer books. This also helps them with literacy because I don't think parents always think about the fact that there are stages to early literacy. And one of them is exploring books, being able to touch books, being able to chew on a book. That's why those great vinyl bath books are always awesome. That's how they learn about flipping pages and starting to make associations. And it's a whole process. The sooner you can get them familiar with and experiencing and enjoying books, it is one of the most powerful tools later on to work on comprehension and language. I agree. And in the bath, you can do that too, talking oh, to them. Yeah. I think that is such a valuable tool. Just plastic books, as you say. Yeah. In the oh, bath. yeah. And just oh, letting they, them, they love them feel the book and feel the pictures. Those touchy-feely books, I think, are quite good because then they're oh, feeling the textures. Yeah. But I don't like the ones that got buttons that you have to press. I remember ages ago, my father bought a book for these friends of ours. I think they were Two and a half, maybe three. It was a book that wasn't one of those button books. It was a really lovely sort of simple sort of book for the age. And immediately when they opened the book, they were pressing on the book. And I was so upset, not because of what they were doing, but because my father had spent so much time in choosing the book for them. And that's all they did. They learned so much about the technology side that that's what they thought a book was, that they had to press the buttons and touch but don't give them technology when they're a baby. If you're out yeah. having a coffee or something, instead of giving them your mobile phone, give them a couple of books or some blocks or or something they can play with if you want to talk to your friend. And let me add this. One of the things that I tell every single parent that I work with is don't buy noisy toys. If you have push button toys, now the classic kind of pop up where you push a button and something pops up, the old school quiet ones where you have to turn this button and poke that one and lift this one up and little figures pop out. Those are awesome for cause and effect. But when we're looking at language and wanting to work on language, noisy toys, if the toy makes the noise, then I don't need to. If I can touch a button on a car while I'm pushing it across the floor and it's making all of these sounds and the lights are whirling, then I don't need to go beep, beep, vroom, vroom. If I'm touching this button on the book and it says cow, then why should I have to say cow? I don't need to say cow. So I always tell parents, no noisy toys. Get rid of the noisy toys because you have to teach your child how to do those sounds. That's how we work on stimulating language in young Mm -hmm. kids. Yeah, absolutely. And talking to them about the book and talking to them about Mm -hmm. the toy and asking them what noise it makes. You're encouraging Mm -hmm. them to learn. So I think we've discussed a lot of interesting topics here. So is there Mm -hmm. anything that you would like to add? No, I think that we've covered it all. My tip for parents is just to start early and focus on those skills that I talked about and doing that during social play like music. And Music social games like Peekaboo and Pat-a-Cake, those are the best ways. Music in particular, if there are not enough parents that are using music as a part of their daily routine. When we do music with young kids, every area of their brain lights up. It's one of the most powerful mm. teaching tools 
that we have. So focusing on a lot of those social games and the fun, interactive things that I can only do with my mom and dad, the peekaboo, the tickle games, the I'm going to get you, that's where we get the most bang for our buck when we're working on communication. And it starts really, really young. I love the music one. Music is an amazing tool. Oh, so powerful. That's why preschool teachers use it all the time. They know. Yeah. yeah. I actually did a podcast for somebody about the music. That was oh. very interesting. Oh, so, it's so amazing for the brain. So if if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? I have a resource page that they can go to on my website, which is thementormomblog.com resources. And I have a checklist that has those foundational language skills that I mentioned, as well as many other language program resources, including a program that I have for parents at home that they can do online that will teach them everything that they need to get their little ones from no words to sentences. Jill, that sounds fantastic. I think the more parents that follow and do what you do, I think will give them a big head start in their lives for their babies and toddlers. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a joy talking to you. Wow. Jill certainly shared many, many great tips. And I find what she had to say about five pre-language skills that need to be in place before words are going to start coming. Fascinating. It's also important, as Jill outlined, to realise that for your little one to acquire skills, you need to ensure they learn the sub-skills first. So please ensure that they are ready and have the required foundation first. I've included links to Jill's website, her foundational language skills checklist and other resources, which she mentioned during our chat in the show notes, which can be found at mybabymassage.net forward slash podcast forward slash one two mate. That's mybabymassage.net forward slash podcast forward slash one two eight. I also share each episode on First Time Mums Chat Instagram page and you'll hear me chatting live with folks I've interviewed from time to time. Please support me by following me and I look forward to meeting you during one of my lives. Next week, I'm chatting with Hermia Pass, Eugenie Kruger, who empowers families with the knowledge of using homeopathy for their home to help treat various acute and first aid situations. We'll be talking about homeopathic remedies for ailments, including teasing, colic, reflux, constipation, and ear infections. Be sure to listen to this episode when it comes out next week. And please subscribe to First Time Mums Chat via your favorite platform so that you get quick and easy access to all our episodes when they are live.